What's up, guys? Uh, we have episode 15 of the Four Lifters by Lifters podcast, and we have uh, Charlie, pronounce your last name? Jung. Jung with yeah. us today. Uh, he's part of Renaissance Periodization. Uh, what, what, are you, what do you do there? Uh, I'm the director of operations there. Director of operations? Yep. So you do everything? Pretty much. Yeah, you're, <laughs> yeah, you're the utility man. Uh, Renaissance periodization has really blown up over the last couple of years. I think it really started in uh, the CrossFit atmosphere. I remember seeing, um, you know, a bunch of women in particular who were just super shredded doing CrossFit. Mm -hmm. And they weren't even, um, I guess, the greatest, like, athletes, but they looked absolutely phenomenal. And I think that that's what really uh, helped blow the brand up. Um, but now you guys are doing bodybuilding, powerlifting. Uh, you said Olympic weightlifting as well. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so you guys are, are fully spread out through all things fitness now. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Uh, so the first time that that Charlie and I met, uh, he didn't know we met, but he uh, he was at a powerlifting meet in Philadelphia, and uh, I think he was would you squat like seven seven sixty or something? Something like that. Seven seven seventy one or something. So, like that. Yeah, yeah, it was a pretty good number. I mean, the, you know, everybody stopped to watch him. Um, and you were doing this crazy thing when you were warming up, uh, getting ready for the meet when you were sniffing the nose. Crying. Work. Yeah, I think you're like spitting. <laughs> and uh, <Both. laughs> the the first time you did, I'm like, dude, I think this guy just spit on me. And then uh, and then I looked at the board to see what you were squatting, and I was like, you know what, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, he's squatting enough weight, we'll allow it. And um, yeah, that was a really good meet. There was actually some some good lifters there. Yeah, yeah, that was solid. Uh, yeah, pretty competitive. That's my uh, last one. Was, so what uh, what made the switch? Like what made that happen? Uh, just chronic uh, injuries. Is that what it was? Yeah, no, no, nothing big. Just like you know the tendonitis, knees, all that stuff, and the lower back um, just kind of creeps up on you and uh, kind of ruins training, ruins the fun, takes the fun out of it. So kind of just gave that up. What do you think? Like in powerlifting training, I, I've had the same issues. I uh, I herniated two discs in 2014, and I bulged the next one. So I had three in a row that were just, you know, completely screwed up. And, uh, you know, it just put me out of commission. Yeah. And, and it, it, when you get – I don't know how injured you were, but uh, you when, when I had an injury that was that tough, it kind of just, you know, kind of ruins your spirits. You're For just sure. Like, you know, I was 24 at the time. I'm like, man, am I even going to be able to play with my kids when I'm older? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't know where this is going. You, know, you go to Rothman Institute, and they're like, yeah, we have to do surgery. Uh, I elected not to do that. But, you know, it, it just, you know, how far do you take it? So it sounds sure. like you stopped before you got to that point. Uh, Yeah, I mean, yes and no. Um, I've had lower back issues for probably my whole powerlifting career. So actually my whole lifting career, probably like, 15 years really? or plus yeah I, I herniated my uh, two discs in my lower back also okay like within the first three years of lifting when i was like 16 you know which kind of you uh, started young yeah 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 I, I started lifting when i was about 15 or so wow i believe so 15 14 15 maybe some, something like that yeah it was really early on where i hurt my lower back and then um nothing too crazy after that and then when i started powerlifting, uh, i kept getting uh, constant uh, bicep tendonitis uh, bilaterally okay. uh, due to squatting, and um, it so was getting your arms behind the bar. Yeah, I just yeah. couldn't fit it under the bar. Yeah, this, I just, I guess the way I'm built or something. I've yeah. tried everything. I've tried uh, Graston, uh, acupuncture, um, the, those crazy sleeves, the cryo yeah. sleeves, whatever. And, I mean, you obviously tried all the mobility drills too, I, right? All, all okay. that, yeah, for months and months and months, and uh, just nothing helped. Um, something that it did help was kind of like using different bars uh, leading up to a meet, but then as soon as you put the straight bar back on, it's like the, 
it hurts instantly. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, like, I learned after a few uh, meets where I had to pull out of, uh, I just kind of gave it up then and there. Um, figured, you know, if I couldn't push my limits further than that, uh, it's not it's not really fun for me, you know? Well, that's – I think that's where – the fun of, of bodybuilding kind of comes in, right? Because you can still push yourself ridiculously hard, but it's in a different manner. So like you can mm. do, you know, a, a 30 reps on a, on a heavy bicep curl. Um, I mean, it hurts, yeah. like it, you know, and it, and it may suck. Go ahead. No, no, no you're, yeah. you're exactly right. The thing with uh, bodybuilding is that um, you can grow the muscle, but in so many different ways. For parallel thing, you have to squat. You have to do a straight bar back squat. You have yeah. to deadlift. You have to bench. But, you know, if you want to get bigger in bodybuilding, you can use every single tool available to you in the gym, every single machine, every single variation to kind of grow that muscle. So it kind of helps you work around injuries. Yeah, when we had uh, Stan Efferding in and John Meadows, um, you know, they talked about the vertical diet, and then afterwards they talked about some training stuff. And uh, I guess Stan doesn't identify as a powerlifter, I guess. I guess he identifies as a bodybuilder. But mm-hmm. um, he was talking because he said, like, you powerlifters, uh, you know, you're always doing the same motion over and over. And he's like, you don't understand how bad the wear and tear is on all the joints from, you know, you know, a bodybuilder would go in, and they might not squat during a workout. Mm-hmm. and But they're still growing. They're still hitting the muscle. But with a powerlifter, like, what are you really doing if you're not going into squatting? You know what? Um, Stan got that right. Yeah. Um, that's one thing I wish I did during my whole uh, powerlifting career. I kind of learned it uh, towards the tail end, which kind of uh, hurt me because I could have been doing it the whole time. But uh, not doing those uh, three key movements all the time would have extended my career and probably my numbers higher and further along um, than if I had you know, done what I had done. Um, because like you said, uh, a bigger muscle is a stronger muscle in the end and you can grow that muscle however way you want it, you know? Well, I think one thing we don't really realize either is, you know, some of the 212 bodybuilders, you know, when they're going into their like Olympia preps and stuff and they're, they're training real heavy, um, you know, some of them will hit, you know, assuming that they're pretty close in body weight to, to 220, which is the weight class for powerlifting, some of them will rep, you know, four or five or 10 on bench. Yeah. You don't even see too many no. powerlifters doing that in the 220 <laughs> weight class. So, like, there must be some carryover to hypertrophy training for strength, too. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're in, we're in the same boat. Like, I just wish I realized that a lot earlier. When I was in college prepping for my, my nationals um, my senior year, I, my deadlift was always terrible. Mm-hmm. So I thought to myself, like, all right, let's increase frequency and get this thing better. And uh, all it did was I had to take six months off the gym completely after that meet because my hips were completely shot yeah. and that's so all it did was increase wear and tear and make things so much worse and my deadlift went up uh 11 pounds it's like looking in the mirror for me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my deadlift has always been my weak point and anytime i throw more frequency at it i just hurt myself yeah yeah that's all that happens <laughs> yeah i uh you know every time like recently if i go to deadlift my deadlift's always the best if i just fo- uh, stop deadlifting for a while and focus on my squat for a little while and then come back to it for like three or four weeks where you're warmed up and comfortable and then like i'll hit a pr and that 100%. happens almost every single time yep so and that's what i kind of realized towards the end of my career also but then by then it was kind of too late for me <laughs> yeah yeah um so what's been the biggest like the difference in training i mean obviously you may, you may not be squatting as frequently but like mm-hmm. let's just use legs as an example like what's the difference in workouts between you doing powerlifting and you doing bodybuilding um well 
the difference so far for me has been uh, a lot more frequency um, during bodybuilding training. What was your frequency during powerlifting? Um, I'd hit everything about one to two times a week. Okay. Um, now it's anywhere from two to three times a week. Sometimes four if it's a smaller muscle group, like shoulders. So you're hitting legs two to three times a week? Uh, legs usually two, chest yeah. usually two to three, shoulders usually three to four, maybe five sometimes. Uh, you know, smaller muscle groups more, larger mu- muscle groups less. Yeah. Um, a lot more sessions. Uh, you know, the powerlifting training, uh, it'd be like, you know, two hours, three hour sessions. Yeah. Pretty normal during peak, you know. Now, um, I, it's a lot more sessions. So I need, I train anywhere from maybe eight to 12 sessions a week. Okay. So I'll do a lot of AM PMs, but those are usually only anywhere from an hour and a half to even 30 minutes. What's the, you know, we were talking about magazines before we started the podcast and, mm-hmm. you know, in the magazines, the, the bodybuilding workouts were always, you know, five or six times a week. You know, it was one wor- workout a week for most of the workouts. Uh, assuming that those are even relatively true, you know, what's what's making you do, you know, two workouts a day if we're assuming that, like, the, the 90s bodybuilders and stuff weren't doing that stuff? Um, I think those magazines, uh, they built those. I mean, this is my, I guess, I'm just guessing here, but I think they made those workouts um, – specifically just to hurt people yeah <laughs> um, to hold because, them back yeah no because i remember doing those workouts and i remember doing them like oh my god this is amazing i feel so sore and then i feel sore for five days and you know soreness is great it's a great indicator of growth but it's not the only indicator and if you're sore for that long it might you know you might kind of get a you know little idea that maybe it was a little too much yeah maybe dialing back the intensity and volume and breaking up to smaller sessions might help with growth more i've always found that like I really only get sore when I do something different, mm-hmm. right? So if I just throw an odd exercise in out of nowhere, you know, then I'll get sore. But if I if I were to do the same, you know, five or six exercises, regardless of sequence, you know, I tend to not get that sore uh, to where I can't recover within, you know, three to four days span. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any, like, insight on that? Uh, yeah, so I hear that a lot, and – Usually when I probe about that kind of stuff, uh, I find out that, yes, they're sticking with the same variation, but their volume doesn't change either. Mm. So are you increasing volume every single time? It depends. Yeah, sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less, sometimes there's drop sets. Um, But as far as soreness goes, yeah, probably not. It's probably the same. Yeah. Or, so like if I'm not that sore, yeah. the workouts are probably very similar. Very similar, exactly. Yeah. So usually, you know, my soreness does tend to go down throughout a mesocycle. So, you know, I'm usually most sore around week one, like for you, yeah, same thing. Definitely. And then as the week goes on, I'm usually a little less sore. But uh, the soreness stays there usually for me because every week I'm adding a set. I'm adding weight. I'm adding a rep here and there. Right. So you're always progressing. So you're doing that for four weeks straight? Uh, yeah, anywhere from three to five weeks usually, and then I take a deload. Okay. Yeah, but um, and after you deload, are you switching movements? Um, not if I don't have to. Okay. So I try to keep a movement there as long as I can, until uh, I need to change it. Okay. Yeah. So in powerlifting, you know, we warm up. Uh, you go to squat, right? That's going to be your your first movement mm-hmm. every single time, um, for the majority of the time, uh, or some type of hip. Uh, hinging movement 
in bodybuilding, you can it's kind of like a free for all, right? Like, uh, not always. I mean, it really depends on your strength and weaknesses. There, um, I just I usually tell people it really depends on the individual. You know, it really depends on the stimulus to fatigue ratio of that movement for that person. Okay. So I mean, someone for like you and me, like starting off with squats. If you were trying to do bodybuilding, it's probably not the best idea because we have lower back problems, mm. right? So the first thing that's going to get fatigued is lower back, right? Yeah. So we probably want to try to target the quads in a better way. So we start, we, you and I would probably start off doing hack squats or leg press for our main quad movement. Because the back's fully supported. Exactly. Yeah. And then after that, once your legs are pretty much toast, you can maybe move from the squats on there from there okay. because you won't be able to load too much weight on there because your legs won't be able to squat it. But because of that, your back doesn't have to support that much weight. So right now, that's exactly what I do in this block. I start off with a leg press, and then I move up straight up to a, a squat. Okay, so you're yeah. doing compound-on-compound compound movements. Yeah. You're not doing a lot of isolation? Hamstring curls? Um... I do hamstring curls, too. I usually start off with hamstring curls. Okay, so you're yeah. starting off with hamstring curls, then going to the leg press. Mm -hmm. But you're using the hamstring curls as more of a primer? Uh, no, I, I, I literally just do that because after leg press and squats, I don't feel like doing shit. I don't feel like going home. <laughs> so if you don't do it first, you're not – so it's like calves. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, do you do any, like, pre-exhaustion on purpose? Um, I mean, technically, the leg press is a pre-exhaustion, right? It's still compound, though. Yeah. Like, so do you, uh, do you structure any isolation movements to pre-exhaust the muscle prior to doing – No. Okay. I, it's usually the other way around. That's interesting. Yeah. So we – um. You know, we had Jason Arts on here, uh, episode four, five, uh, four, I think. Uh, and he's a 212 bodybuilder. Okay. Uh, you know, I think overall he's ranked like top 10. Uh, you know, I think he's been on the Olympia stage. So he, he put me through a workout. We did uh, one of his like typical workouts. And it was, uh, you know, it was leg extensions, uh, hamstring curls. And then we moved on to the hack. We did a leg press and we finished with barbell squats. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's very similar to... To, to what you're doing and yeah. the reason why he did that is he didn't want to have to put seven plates on the, on the squat rack. sure you know he wanted to be able to get away with four or five sure and it was the same concept um and then he, you know he just did his isolation stuff in the beginning and i think that's just because he wanted to put blood in the muscles yeah so he could train them better okay you know he can feel them it, that logic still sticks um the feeling part i mean he he, he might actually find a better mind muscle connection with that okay. so um i always say try it out like anything you like those types of variations like switching exercises around and you know using different exercises it's always individual so try it out and see if it you know targets that muscle better or if you find a better my muscle connection with it um, because you know it's kind of different for everyone there's no like one set rule i'd say and that applies to bodybuilding but not as much towards powerlifting or both you think uh for hypertrophy well just for um i guess determining like exercise sequence so it really depends on the goal at that point. So for bodybuilding, you're always kind of just building hypertrophy, right? It's always a hypertrophy block, right? Right, because you're just trying to grow. Right. For powerlifting, you know, I'm I'm hoping most powerlifters like to break it up into like a hypertrophy block, and then a strength focused block, and then like a peak here and there for a that's uh, how we're a supposed meet. to do it. Yeah. yeah, that's how you're supposed to do it, right? So um, yeah, it really depends. But um, for hypertrophy, um, I'd say there's really not, not much difference uh, between the, the two sports. Yeah, mm -hmm. for strength, for sure, you want to you know kind of get stronger at those movements or at least very similar variations. You, so you probably want to keep those first, right? For a powerlifting. So um, I've always found that 
with somebody starting out, it's almost easier to kind of push, even if their goal is to look like you, Mm -hmm. it's almost easier to push them into powerlifting first Mm -hmm. because they they learn how to move properly, right? Uh, They learn how to do the big lifts and how to handle a little bit of weight. Um, Would you agree with that, with you being fully functional in both sports now? Hmm. I think the order of sports, the way I did it, for me at least, and I don't recommend this for everyone, I think it was the right way to do it. Beneficial for you? Yeah. Um, I think the way I went about powerlifting overall, not so much. Fair. Yeah. But I think if you do the powerlifting sport properly, all the blocks, and then move on to bodybuilding later in life, it's probably beneficial. The the time that it really dawned on me is, um, you know, I started seeing like like figure girls on on uh, Instagram, and then you look at like uh, you go to a powerlifting meet and you see some of the like one twenty three, one thirty two girls, and you're like, dude, you would kill it in figure, mm-hmm. and you can see that those those movements that they're doing, and they're not bodybuilders by any means, um, but the muscle that they put on, the places that they put the muscle on, would be so beneficial for a lot of figure competitors, mm-hmm. and you see a lot of them, um, you know, lacking in in muscle. Um, in those spots when they go to compete. Um, so that's that's really when it dawned on me is that, you know, it, it, there's probably more of a crossover there than we really think. Yeah, for sure. And then I know you said you don't really follow bodybuilding culture, but do you remember um, Kirk Kowalski? Yes. Okay. Everyone knows Captain yeah. Kirk. All right. So <laughs> he, I knew he was a powerlifter, but he just mm-hmm. – uh, he was just freakish, freakishly freak. huge. He's a freak. And I, I just can't think of a, a bodybuilder in today's era that wouldn't want to look like that guy. Um, yeah, I mean, minus the waist for sure, hundred well, percent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he was one of my uh, the guys I looked up to when I first got in powerlifting. I'm like, yeah. oh my god, there, there are gods among us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, just the he was like urban legend too. Yeah. Like you just heard, you know, crazy, the crazy tales stories. Of him. Yeah, yeah. kind of like uh, that you can't Chuck repeat. Vogelpool yeah. for oh yeah for, uh, <laughs> for Westside. Um, when you trained in powerlifting, uh, just to revert back a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, were you training more uh, like following prior up and stable, you know, programming off of that? Um, or were you kind of doing like more conjugate method stuff or? I've tried it all. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I first started powerlifting, I actually uh, gave the whole West Side thing a try. You know, what was it? The max effort days and the speed days. Yeah, dynamic effort. Yeah, you yeah. Have, uh, that's RE right. days, uh, depending on your yeah, that was like that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Doing circa maxes yep, and all that yep, stuff. Yep. Yeah. I tried all that stuff. Uh, I, I follow a lot of uh, uh, Mike T stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I he was it. the first one that was like hooking up his laptop to the barbell to measure yeah. speed. Yeah. His uh, little, uh, what yeah. was it? The, um, what's it called? I, With the little string? Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw him do that, and I was like, what the hell is this guy? Is he an astronaut? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so, I mean, what were your successes and failures with those training types um there was not nearly enough volume in the west side uh method for me personally uh, at least how it was laid out the way i saw it mm-hmm. um uh the most i guess success i found was just kind of uh focusing on a simple periodization and uh making sure i hit uh uh, certain RPEs throughout my mezzo and just literally, literally simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. It helped pretty much self-regulate fatigue. And that, I think that was my number one, uh, thing that I wish I 
had learned early on is not to bury yourself into the ground every yeah. training session. That's that was the thing that I think uh, just kind of uh, shortened my powerlifting career. But you're not going through the motions <clears throat> either, right? Like you're still finding a pretty high intensity. It's just not burying yourself. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Because like when I first started, you know, you, I would just crush myself every session. You know. Until you have, you have nothing e- left. Yeah, you have that ego. You know, when you're younger, you just want to get after it get after it because that's how you get stronger right well, yeah and you're watching branch warren videos exactly Jackson yep, and, yep. yeah but then you know soon sooner or later i learned that uh the slow and steady approach definitely works because this is not a sprint yeah you know you don't you don't squat 800 pounds overnight yeah. it takes years and you have years so why not just take it slow yeah we um you know, another thing that kind of dawned on me is, A, those guys are probably training a lot like that for video, mm-hmm. right? Because it's fun, it's entertaining. Yep. And aside from that, I think, you know, the, I mean, you would know more than I would, but the high-intensity training like that probably works better with muscle retention than it might with, with growth. Yeah, uh, I, for, I mean, for, for me, for sure. Um, I found the most growth by doing high volume. High, high volume and high frequency. What's high volume do you Um... For legs, anywhere from for me at least for quads and big muscle parts, anywhere from eight to twelve working sets a week. Eight to twelve sets a week. Okay, so it's not that much. What's your rep range? Uh, it varies anywhere from five to thirty reps. Okay, yeah, and that kind of goes across all muscle groups in terms of reps. But uh, you know, sets go up. You know, the smaller muscles they are because you can train them more and they recover faster. Do you find that isolation movements tend to be uh, not in the five range? Like that? Yes. Like that's going to push it a little bit higher? 100%. But just because it's compound, it doesn't exclude it from being up there either, right? Exactly. So, for example, my uh, in this block, my main quad day, I start off with leg press. Well, lying leg curls. And then I go to leg press, Mm -hmm. which is anywhere from 20 to 30 reps per set. And then I go to squats, which is anywhere from like five to eight reps. So let's just use your leg press for example. When you move on to leg press, mm-hmm. are you doing uh, like if your if your goal is thirty reps? Yeah, you're not doing thirty reps every set leading up to your top no, set, no, right? No, 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 no. So how are you setting that up? So if I'm gonna go, let's say, work up to seven hundred, it'll be like two hundred, then four hundred, then five hundred, six hundred, and then I'll just do like start but, off with like ten reps. Okay. to eight reps, six reps, you know, I kind of feel it out. You know, you never want to kind of, you know, waste any energy or, you know, actual muscle. You don't want to cause any fatigue during the actual warm-ups, but right. you want to get them warmed up. So you're you're priming yourself for one set? No. Okay. My first set will be, like, my target rep range, which is anywhere from 20 to 30. Okay. And then from there, I use a rep and reserve system, which is kind of similar to RPE in powerlifting. Just opposite-ish yeah, yeah yeah you know it's I, I find it very similar you know it's kind of so I, i'll do like if i go in and the rir is two so my first set i'll do two from failure and the second set i'll do two from failure it's usually anywhere from like 26 then 24 then 20 because it's the same weight so you're exactly. not going to perform the same mm-hmm. okay um yeah you know it, it gets a little confusing when you have guys uh on youtube's talking about you know don't train like that basically like don't do five sets at the same weight i think dave palumbo always talks about on rx muscle like he would work you know they would work in and they would work up the one like crazy set Mm -hmm. and then you know they might do a drop set on that or just move to the next exercise for sure um but you're doing four sets at the same weight 
you know, and then your your reps are going to fall because the weight's heavy. For sure. Um, but it, it just gets confusing because for me personally, I've always grown the most from doing exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. When my legs were the biggest, and my legs are not very big right now, but when they were the biggest, I was squatting 315 for sets of 20, and mm-hmm. I was doing four sets of 20. The f- uh, ish, you know, obviously the reps would fall one or two as your sets go on. Um, that first set. You know, you just feel great. Uh, you know, you, you get all the blood in the muscles. And then the other sets, it felt like you were actually doing, like, the damage, mm-hmm. right? Because you, it's the same motion and you're, you're furthering everything. Uh, and then we would move over to leg press after that, and we would, were doing some high volume. Um, but I just noticed, like, my legs just grew so fast. But everything you see on online, it feels like they're saying to do the opposite. You mean do one top heavy set and then do down sets? Yeah. Or, I mean... I mean I, I don't think either way is incorrect um, as long as you're hitting uh, certain amount of intensity and, and certain amount of volume. And as long as you're progressing month to month, mezzo to mezzo, macro to macro. When you say progressing, does it have to be in weight or reps? It, Can it be in weight. movement quality? So, uh, well, but it's sure. unmeasurable. Yeah, so movement quality, you know, you always want to hope to get to a point where your movement quality is, you know, 100% all the time, right? Okay. But what, let's say, barring that it is, then from there, it's uh, you always want to increase at least weight reps or sets, right, throughout mesocycles, okay. throughout the years, too. Yeah, it's just, uh, I guess when that stuff stalls, that's when you have movement rotations, right? Exactly. So if you're, if you're you know, your leg press that you're doing after the hamstring curls, if you, you let's say you can only go up to a certain amount and you yeah, just keep and then you, stalling. And, and then your knees or something, something bothers you, you switch it up. Switch over to yeah, hacks. And it's, it's, it, you know, a lot of people like to complicate it beyond that, but it's really not that that uh I liked uh, <laughs> last year when Mike and Jeff Long were going back and forth about squatting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was funny because, you know, they're, I think they know each other. You know, they were just playing with each other back and forth on, on social. And uh, we had Jeff in here, and his legs are massive, right? And uh, obviously Mike's not a small guy anymore either. And, uh, you know, Jeff's response when he was on here is like, well, my legs are bigger. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, but I don't think that's enough evidence, right? No. You can't have one guy saying, well, mine are bigger. My yeah. way works better. That's like saying, uh, you know, all respect to Ronnie Coleman. <laughs> that's like taking lifting advice from Ronnie Coleman. Probably yeah. not the best idea. <laughs> it's fair. Uh, it's fair. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people would love to look like him, though. Oh, it's for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. I get my left nut. You're yeah. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I, I think for Mike, I think what he was trying to get at is if you're going to get the best bang for your buck in building the legs and just building the whole body. Mm-hmm. I mean, when even when I was squatting uh, twice a week in college, I, I didn't train back. I yeah. deadlifted and I did back extensions, but that was it. But my back grew like crazy just from having a six to 700 pound barbell on my oh, back right? all the time. Yeah. And, uh, but is there any like absolutes for you where you're like, listen, if you, you know, if you're looking to put muscle on your legs, like you have to do this movement or no, no. Yeah. There's nothing. No absolutes for me. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Like extensions. Like people it. love that stuff, right? Yeah. People love the rules. Like, do this. Yeah. Don't do this. Unfortunately, I'm not that cool. I'm not a YouTube guy. <laughs> I don't have those rules. Well, I think it makes it easier for people. Like, it, it puts does. them on autopilot. You know, yeah. they see somebody that they like. And, and we'll use Jeff as an example. Um, you know, Jeff has such a great following. You know, whatever he says is gospel, and people just follow it to a T. Yeah. So if, if Jeff says don't squat, nobody squats. Yeah. You know what? Um, I'm not trying to hate. I think that stuff is might be helpful kind of starting off just to get people into the culture yeah but i think you know 
as you want to actually grow and learn more, you learn that there isn't one answer to everything. You know, it's 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 a harder concept to kind of grasp because you know it's not a concrete like do this, don't do that, right? But I think that's why people gravitate towards the easier stuff because yeah. they don't have to think. Mm. Yeah, that's just my take on it. Yeah, it, it, the squat is a very complex movement, and for somebody who's newer to lifting, uh, it can make you feel like you're a you know a, a fawn, you know, baby fawn. Sure, sure. Um, so you know, people don't know where to put their legs. They don't know how to you know sit back or or allow their knees to go forwards. They don't know how far how far 100%. they're supposed to fold, where the bar is supposed to go on their back. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas you you can jump on a leg press and kind of figure it out within the first couple sessions. You know, um, so it's definitely a lot different. Uh, I was watching a, a YouTube video from Mike the other day, and he mentioned something called MRV. Can you explain what that is? Uh, not as well as he can. <laughs> not as well as he can? Yeah, but uh, it's... Maybe we'll uh, link a, a video yeah, in this one for Yeah, it stands for maximal recoverable volume. Okay, so there's a, a set amount of volume that your body can... Can handle. Can like, handle. Exactly, and uh, the it's used in that uh, throughout a mesocycle, okay. you want to approach MRV. So you don't want to pretty much start off too high mm. because as you progress throughout the meso, which I'm hoping you are, everyone is, um, you don't want to exceed MRV too soon. Okay. So that's why the MRV concept exists. Okay. Yeah. And it, it would also change, like, let's say uh, there's a mesocycle where you, you know, let's say you think that your quads are too small and you're trying to get them to grow mm-hmm. and you want to test out a higher frequency. Yep. That MRV amount's going to change because your frequency changed, correct? No. No? The MRV would stay the same still. The MRV's for the total week? Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. All right. That makes more sense. Yeah. I was I was thinking of it per session rather than on well, a they're, they're, that's, basis. Well, that 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 also exists. Okay. Per session MRV. Okay. Yeah. It's 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 not it's not a, you know, set in stone concrete concept. But know? if you're training legs twice a week and you have a certain MRV that you want to accomplish. Wanna, exactly, total sets. Yeah. Total volume. But that would be different than 3 days a week. Your so your sessions would change. Yes. Okay. So right All now, right. so example, uh, my last mezzo, I was hitting um, my back two times a week. Okay. But now it's three times a week this mezzo. But so because of that, I'm reducing my volume per session to kind of split it up amongst the three. So do you think that like, unbeknownst to all the older um, you know bodybuilders that they kind of may have came up with that concept when they're doing stuff like drop sets and you know, supersets and all that stuff. Do you think that that implementation was kind of, you know, for that? Uh, I think some of it was. Yeah. I think some of it, they were just copying each other. But, uh, yeah, yeah finding point, ways to compete against each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but, but I think, you know, uh, at the end of the day, um, yeah, it was a way to kind of push themselves towards MRV. Yeah. Do you think that there's a, a good implementation of drop sets and, you know, supersets? Um, yeah. Um, use them if you like to. Like them, but uh, make sure you use them throughout, hopefully throughout the mesocycle so you have something to base each week on. So you have the data to yeah, figure it, out if it's working for exactly, you. Exactly, because I see some guys, they'll literally just throw a drop set in randomly because they're like, oh, I feel good today. I feel good. I'm going to do a drop set. You know, I want to get that pump. And yeah. that's literally the only reason why they do it. But if you methodically use a drop set or like a down set per se okay. throughout a mezzo and throughout your macro, then it's a great way you know, to kind of uh, implement that and kind of change things up. Do you think that training, whether you're trying to gain mass or you're dieting down, um, do you think the use of that stuff changes? No. It, so train, training in general, you don't think changes much? 
Uh, no, I think um, your progression from week to week uh, when you're trying to lose weight might uh, slow down. But besides that, uh, training, training. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> no, it, it, it's good to hear because you see, um, you know, we we have a brick and mortar you know retail store, so we see you know a ton of people every day and they all come in uh saying different things with different goals and oftentimes we get younger kids that come in or, or older guys they're almost always men though mm-hmm. and they go uh you know i want to cut down i just started doing uh you know lightweight high reps yeah so yeah i don't really think that matters during uh massing and um cutting um your while you're trying to lose weight sorry <clears throat> Um, your MRV might fall. So mm. you're doing overall less volume, but the difference between high reps and low reps, if you're massing and uh, doing like a weight loss phase, I mean, there's no real science behind that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Um, and then uh, just one more thing regarding MRV. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would change depending on if there's enhancements involved. For sure. If, if somebody's natural. 100%. And the calories, everything like calories. that too. So like, when you're, like I said, when you're cutting, your MRV tends to drop a t- well, you know a bit or you know we were talking earlier uh you know we have a lot of blue collar people in this area mm-hmm. uh some of them get moved over to night shift mm-hmm. uh when their sleep lacks their mrv would go down oh too, right? tons of sleep is like a huge factor in recovery okay yeah so if yeah. you're not getting your you know proper sleep you know every day you know good rest oh man you're that's that's the number one thing i tell people want to look out for when they're um in a f- fat loss phase like you sleep yeah it's yeah. like what like sleep Make sure you're sleeping. If not, then your your whole shit's your whole face is gonna go shit. <laughs> yeah, I you know we get a lot of people in that get frustrated with themselves. You know yeah. they, their life changes. You know they have a kid or mm-hmm. something happens, and then uh, you know they try to go in the gym and be the same person they were prior to that. Yeah, you and adjust it, for that. It just doesn't work. They either get injured, they get burnt out, um, and and they they just they give up, right? Yeah. So they lose hope in, in the progress because they're no longer you know progressing uh, from week to week. So. Uh, you know, during a little break there, we were talking uh, about diet. So let's switch into diet right. a little bit. Great. I think that's what your your company's about, right? Uh, I think so. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. I just saw it. Actually, I think you guys just had uh, like 500,000 followers. Yeah, you have a million followers. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. They're, they're all organic, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like no crazy. We've, we've never done any kind of weird like buying oh, followers. Yeah. Or I forgot people did that. People do, yeah, people yeah. do that all the time. Yeah, we've never bought a follower or done any kind of anything like that. I remember when Instagram like purged the purchase yeah, I followers. Remember that. Yeah, <laughs> like just like tons of influencers fell from grace. Just yeah, not <laughs> only like fitness was like the worst. I feel like, yeah. but uh, you saw like movie stars and yeah. stuff like their following just completely died. Uh, yeah, and then you see the news articles just roasting them, getting what they deserve. Um, you know, I feel like there's a. A, a big wave with dieting and how the technology of dieting today. Um, I feel like you guys are you guys are macro based, right? And I feel like Lane Norton really started that that push on that trend. Um, you know, to, to put out you know if it fits your macros type stuff. And then uh, a lot of the old school bodybuilders are like, well, I don't follow macros, but I kind of follow macros, right? Because I eat the same thing every day. Yeah. And then I when I'm dieting, I take out half a cup. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, your macros are changing. So yeah. even though they're not calculating them, they're still following the same concepts. Yeah. And, uh, and and it's basically structure. Calories in, calories out. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know your diet right now. Would you say how much? How many grams of carbs are you eating? Uh, just seven hundred. Seven hundred grams yeah. of carbs, and your protein's at 
275. And your fat's at? 80. 80. Okay. Yeah. And I feel like that's the typical, not, not that many carbs, but like yeah. that ratio is very typical for like t- a lot of the young guys today. Um, when we have some of the old school bodybuilders come in, they might have one day a week like that or one day a month like that. They're almost all higher fat, higher, way higher protein, mm-hmm. um, you know, completely different. If those are, if the, the other diet's creating great physiques, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the reason for the change today? Um, oh, you mean uh, the high fats diet worked in the past? Yeah. Why are we doing this now? Yeah, especially if we praise the, you know, the physiques of, of the 90s and the early 2000s. Um, why, well, why has technology told us to change it? I mean, the science says that, you know, higher cars will help you perform better. Uh, in the gym and you know high performance is going to net uh more hypertrophy in the end right um for a mass building phase definitely but would it be the same when you're dieting yeah you need you need uh carbs to perform right so it's even i I would say it's even more crucial (laughs) during fat loss phase um but on top of that um i mean the bodybuilders from the early 2000s i'm not sure if a lot of them had a lot of high fat diets Uh, because uh i mean at least from videos i see like jay cutler you seen like videos of him eating? Oh it just, yeah! It's just yeah. <laughs> literally, I've I, I looked at it, you know, because like you know, I I've, I haven't heard much, too much about from Jay Cutler over the years. At least him talking about nutrition. Yeah. It's just him talking about how much he hates bodybuilding for the most part. But like, I'll see him eat, and like he'll talk about how much he hates eating. But it's always like lean chicken breast or lean fish and like mounds of rice yeah. and like trace fats, and that's pretty much what you know I try to do every day too. But, like he wasn't thinking of doing the that he wasn't like probably focused on that probably a coach told him to do that but you know him he and other bodybuilders i think were eating like that back in the I, I remember a video where he had like his main plate i think he had a bowl and like three other plates of food yeah like it was just it was insane yeah but like if you look at that it's it, a, it was it's high carb yeah, yeah it was yeah. all uh like oatmeal like cream of rice yeah, yeah it was yeah, yeah. uh so maybe you're right uh maybe but, the guys that we're having on here are lying to us we have to talk no, to them about yeah, it I, yeah i don't think they're lying <laughs> per se too like a lot of times uh i just think people kind of maybe digest fast a little bit or also yeah yeah and they could probably you know utilize the fats a little better than others um, I can't. <laughs> but do you think it's gonna be, like give a different end result of the physique? Um, in the long term sense, uh, show day sense. Show day sense. Yeah. Uh, I I can almost guarantee you. I put a lot of money on it that almost no top bodybuilder has a high fat diet going into a peak for bodybuilding. Maybe not I, high I, fat, but yeah. but all right. So. A lot of these guys, what they'll do is they'll dip fats and carbs basically to nothing, mm-hmm. and then they're they're on a protein and veggie diet, you know, going into you know the last couple of weeks or so. Okay. Uh, so they call it like keto, but it, it's not keto, right? Mm-hmm. It's just it's keto in the sense that you're not eating anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously like PEDs and stuff can help keep them in an anabolic state. Um, <clears throat> and then they carb up a couple of days before the show, yep. and you know they they look really good. Yeah. Um, but is that end result physique going to be different than somebody who's eating massive amount of carbs and just tapering it down? How far? How far? You mean like? I get show day. Show day. Um, you mean? Uh, okay, I got you. You mean from just doing a slow taper of all all your macros, pretty much, mm-hmm. opposed to cutting it all out for the most part and then carving up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, this, the, the 
if reducing calories drastically and then uh, carving up to peak is going to uh, produce uh, way better results than just tapering your uh, carbs uh, to actual um, show day. I don't know too much about prepping, uh, bodybuilding prep. I've done one. Um, our coach at uh, Renault Authorization, uh, Jared Feather, yeah, very really, really accomplished. Yeah, I've talked to him a few times. Yeah, he's he's super smart. Uh, he would know more about that. Um, but um, the general sense that I get is that uh, you're trying to deplete and then uh, create this big influx of uh, uh, fluids into the muscles. And to do that is you need to deplete and then send a bunch of carbs and sodium your way. And, you know, you can't really do, it, do that with a slow tapering, right? Yeah. Because you're just slowly tapering and then there's no real influx of carbs at the end. So, you know, we know that uh, a high carb, uh, when your carbs are real high, you can reduce the amount of protein that you're consuming, right? Because carbs are protein sparing mm -hmm. and fats are protein sparing as well. Um, do you think that there's a big difference in which energy source that you're choosing? You know, if, if your overall calories are about the same? Uh, for performance? Carbs. Let's just say for of, let's just say for building muscle. For building muscle, um, I'm not sure. I, I I assume it's almost doesn't matter too much. Um, calorie per calorie wise, because at the end of the day it's energy. But I I am going to go back to performance because if you perform better in the gym, better in the gym, you're going to retain and grow muscle better. Fair. So it all goes back to performance. That's why we. Uh, that's why we you know promote carbs as a number one energy source because it's already available more so than fats. Uh, so I work pretty closely with a, um, a rejuvenation doctor that's local here. Uh, you know, he's got a pretty good reputation. Uh, he's worked with a lot of bodybuilders that mm -hmm. have been on the, on the pro circuit and the Olympia stage. Um, <clears throat> you know, he, he does these 20 page, you know, blood panels and all this stuff. And he still swears up and down that people should really not be eating carbohydrates. Uh, you know, and, and he's he's dead set on that. Uh, every time I go there, he tries to reduce my carbs. Um, and you're not. I, well, all right, so here's the thing. So one time I said, you know what, old guy, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to give it a run here. And uh, so I got blood work done on, like, the end of December, mm -hmm. and this was 2017. And uh, I said, you know what, you want, you want me to drop my carbs? I'm going to drop my carbs. I want keto. Mm -hmm. And so I, I kept my, I was at 3,200 calories mm -hmm. and I kept my calories there. I dropped my protein all the way down to like 180 mm -hmm. and my fat was 300, 320, somewhere in that range. And I did that for six months. My blood work went from orange and red to almost 100% green. Okay. Absolutely everything. Uh, and then what was weird was my testosterone went up 180 points. Okay. Um, so full natty keto diet, like it, it worked. So my at least to me my markers got better um you think it just differs based on the body type and the person yeah, i think a lot of that is genetics yeah i'm not a doctor so i can't speak on it too much yeah. but i think genetics is a huge but i'm sure you guys there. get your blood work done and you guys yeah, yeah. you know look at each other's stuff and yep. you say okay you know maybe something's not right here mm -hmm. and you know maybe insulin sensitivity is down mm -hmm. so in those situations would you drop your carbohydrates and and increase fats to keep your calories up um I wouldn't know, to be honest. Because yeah. you haven't ran into that situation yeah, yourself? Yeah, yeah. My, my, my A1C is like... Perfect. Oh. That's why you're at 700 and whatever <laughs> grams of carbs. This is low for me. Yeah. Really? Yeah. How, what's the highest you've been to? 1,200 a day. You've been to 1,200? What do you eat? Uh, I So I eat about a box and a half of cereal at least. 
on top of tons of rice. Um, I filled these things up with two of these for two sessions of 200 grams of carbs each. <laughs> Why? It's just pure dextrose I'll put in here. Yeah. It's disgusting. I hate it. <laughs> do you ever, like, with that many carbs, like, do you ever go, like, uh, like hyperglycemic? Uh, no. <laughs> so, like, you don't have any I issues? have no issues. If anything, I have, I have issues going hypo. Well, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. you know, the big crash. Yeah. Uh, if I don't get my carbs in uh, in a timely manner. But, That's no, I, I, I never feel any All right, issues. so did you get blood work done when you were getting eating 1,200 calories? Yeah. Or 1,200 grams of carbs? Yeah. And your blood work was fine? Stellar. <laughs> well, I mean, they're, they're blaming a lot of cholesterol issues on carbohydrates, yeah. right? Especially those who eat empty carbohydrates without protein or fats to slow digestion. Mm-hmm. Is they're saying that you get this big insulin spike and it's causing, uh, like, plaque within your okay. arteries, right? You didn't have any issues with that whatsoever? I, I didn't. Yeah, I can't speak if it does or not. Well, I mean, your athletes run. would tell you too, right? I mean, you guys have... Well, yeah, I don't I don't coach anyone. Well, yeah, yeah but I mean, in general, like through the Renaissance periodization, I mean, you, if, if everybody was coming back like pre-diabetic, yeah, you that, guys that. would probably make some changes, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, I think, yeah, no, I think we, Mike we, would go back to the drawing board. Yeah, no, we've never had issues like anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. A lot of that, like I said, to genetics also, I mean, uh, me being Asian... Um, just uh, uh, Asians tend to handle carbs better than most other races actually. So that's crazy. And European ancestry usually tends to handle fats better. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Cause, uh, my soon to be wife, our wedding got canceled because of COVID. Uh, she's Maltese and her family would just eat cheese. And be fine. Yeah. That's a meal to them. If I eat like a couple (laughs) ounces of cheese, I have the worst like stomach cramps. Not from like the lactose. And like if I eat a steak, I love I love burgers, all that stuff. I love that stuff. So you do well with red meat? No, no, no. I'll oh. eat it and then I'll be keeled over for like three hours. I'm not sure. Like I'll just feel horrible. Yeah. So, so year round you're kind of eating lean meats. Oh yeah, like my fats. So th- this is my mass phase. Eighty grams of fats is my like highest I'll go. It goes down to like thirty grams of fats. So like when I'm. And your metabolism's cutting. on fire at that yeah. point, right? Like yeah. you're ready to eat almost at all times. It yeah, feels because like. it's but. As soon as I eat anything high fat, my my appetite just gets crushed. <laughs> what about like whole eggs? Uh, yeah, you, one, don't, you don't do any of that. One whole either. egg. <laughs> That's what you'll do. It's yeah, like one whole egg, and then maybe if, like if a I cup just, of egg whites or something. Yeah, I usually just do a you know whole container of egg whites, but yeah, I usually just cut the egg whites out completely. I mean the, the eggs out completely. Yeah, you don't find. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of nutrients in in fat, right? Yeah, sure. So that can be, they could be beneficial implementing that, but you think. Yeah, but 80 grams of fat is plenty for me. Yeah. For for daily function, for, you know, brain function. Yeah, and all that exactly. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I use it for me personally, anywhere from 50 grams up is completely fine. Okay. Once I start dipping below 50, then I get, you know, the fogginess and all that stuff. Yeah. 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 Prep brain, they call it. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, it's interesting because, again, you, you just like training, you see so many different trains of thought, especially with, uh, you know, with diet. I know that there's uh, there was another prep coach uh, that was talking about how fats um, can basically uh, convert to DHEA, and he was talking about how that can help with cortisol management and all this other stuff. And, uh, you know, you just wonder, like, does it matter? And if it does matter, like how high of a level do you have to be at for it to have an impact on you? Hmm. Yeah. Like, that That's always been my question is like, like who, who is that information really for? Yeah. I, I wouldn't know. Yeah. yeah. I, I always tell people, you know, start off with a sensible diet, 
you know, for whatever you're trying to do and then get blood work done if you need to. And then just from there, or just like, can I adjust by your progress? Right. Yeah. Everyone's a little different. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, if you want to hear a crazy story about the diet, actually the high fats, I don't handle high fats at all. And I learned the most terrible way possible years back, right before I, uh, is it right before I met Mike? Yeah. Right before I met Mike, like before he saved three, you. yeah, three, four years ago, something like that. Um, I was doing the typical, you know, the powerlifting diet, bulk diet, everything, which is, yeah, you know, seafood you, diet. Yeah. Seafood. Yeah. He knows. Yeah. Yeah. I've been yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> so like my fats were like probably like 150 grams a day or more. Okay. Which is like, it's not that high, right? Yeah. For like a fat ass powerlifter, but it's yeah. like not great. Right. Um, and I was like cramming it down cause I'm trying to get my weight up, trying to get my weight up, you know, like, and I'm being, you know, very like, you know, like, I must do this. It's like I, a manhood test. Yeah, like yeah. I, I would literally like. There's a point in time where I'd be like slamming food every single meal I'd take down. I'd like dry heave while I'm eating it, and like tears and snot, like almost every meal. Like I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. There's unfortunately there's video proof of this. Um, uh, until one day, one one night, I woke up around six, five a.m. or something like that after barely any sleep, and I got to the bathroom and I vomited which was normal for me unfortunately um but it was just uh a black grind grind that came out looked like coffee grounds and Uh. then immediately after that i started just like vomiting blood so i drove myself to er like vomiting blood the whole time and they sent me in the back they put like a tube into my sinus down to my stomach and then i just started projectile vomiting blood all over the nurses everywhere they sent me to the or they put me under. I wake up in the ICU. I spent a whole week there, and apparently, I had split my esophagus in half from all the dry heaving and the what? the stomach acid. Yeah, it was called, it's called a Mallory Weiss tear. And apparently, only like usually like uh, bulimics or like alcoholics get it. And this is the first time I've ever seen anyone that's not one of those two get it. And they asked Welcome me like, what, what, what happened? I'm like, I was forcing myself to eat, so I almost <laughs> died. My like blood count went from like 18 or so down to like eight and a half oh. so i lost like more than half my blood volume God. don't do that it's not fun by the way <laughs> well i i have a, my story is not that extreme mm-hmm. but i was doing the same thing when i started powerlifting um you know weight training in general i was 18 18 and a half uh i was 130 pounds and by the time i was 19 i was up at penn state and they had a powerlifting team and mm-hmm. i wanted to join uh I, I came a little late so they uh they pushed me off until the next year and by the time I joined the powerlifting team, I was maybe a buck 90. So I had okay. made a ton of progress and I had to eat a lot to get there. Yeah. But I did a lot of like bro dieting. Yeah. And then you get on the powerlifting team and the influence of everybody else oh, is God, like, so bad. you know, they're like, oh, you're, you're five, eight on your, on, you know, on your best day. And, uh, they're like, you should be in two twenty, uh, maybe two forty two. <laughs> I'm like, really? And, uh, so, so you started eating it and I was eating to be a two twenty. Mm-hmm. And, uh, at one point, you know, I was doing whole, I was doing a, a gallon of whole chocolate milk because you can get whole chocolate milk in center County. You can't get that over here <laughs> no. as much, but in center County you can get it. So I was doing a gallon of whole chocolate milk a day, uh, with that chocolate milk, uh, once a day I was creating like an ice cream shake. Oh, God. And so it was half whole milk, <laughs> half ice cream. It was oats, peanut butter, protein in there. And uh, I would mix it up. But the trick was I was, you know, those three pound containers of ground beef. Yes. All right. So that was two meals for me. And what I would do is I would cook pasta and I would put it over pasta and I would soak it in olive oil. The olive oil wasn't for the calories. It was to lube it down. Oh, God. Right. So the trick was to drink the shake while you're eating the meal 
That's like a 200 grams of fats right there. But but if you do it fast enough, you trick your brain to you not being full, right? Yeah. And, and you know, like, if, if you were to eat that and then try to drink in a half hour, no. you wouldn't be able to do it. So how terrible did you feel three hours after that? Well, sorry. So my we I had two roommates at the time in uh, at Penn State, and my one, um, we were all childhood friends. We just so happened to be up there. And the one had IBS. So between him and me, oh we were going through like those big things of toilet paper every <laughs> week and it was just miserable. And then, you know, later on it dawned on me like, well, if the food's running through me, you know, maybe I shouldn't be doing yeah. this and maybe I got to look at digestion a little bit. Um, but before I got to that point, I had to push it further. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I went through about a month and a half of adding in a large pizza every day as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, then you read the Dave Tate article where, you know, he didn't just eat the pizza, he put olive oil on it. Yeah. So then I was doing that too. And it, it just got so messy. But I also have videos of my roommates uh, videoing me throwing up from yeah. force feeding. But then you throw up and you just throw up your food. So now you got to eat again. Yeah. And it's just like this vicious this cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Don't power lift, guys. God. Ugh. Um, but, you know, I was always in endless supply of energy, and I yeah. recovered really well. <laughs> so, yeah, there, there had to be some benefits to it. Uh, so, uh, needless to say, you've never tried a ketogenic diet or haven't, haven't even? Uh, I have when I was back when I was like 170 pounds. It was a long, long time ago. A long time ago. <laughs> uh, I tried it. Um, felt tired you know, for the most part. Yeah. Um, but uh, I got lean. Yeah, but that was because my total energy balance was below what I needed. So right. obviously, you're just gonna you know shed fat at that point. Um, yeah, yeah, it's easy. When you I know? did it, the the first few pounds were water. Yeah, and, and that was the first thing. But I also noticed like I would eat and have to run to the bathroom, mm -hmm. and I didn't realize that when you're not consuming carbohydrates, you're not hydrated. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And you need to add salt to yeah. all of your meals. Yes, that took a month of me going through that to like oh. <laughs> now I got it. And then I was fine for the, the remainder yeah. of the, the, you know, the ketogenic diet. Speaking of keto, actually. So, like, I don't do keto diets anymore, obviously. But um, I go into keto plenty fine on my diet when I'm prepping. Like, I'll eat up in, like, 200 to 300 grams of carbs. I go, I'm, I'm keto all the time. How are you in ketosis at 300 grams of carbs? Because I burn carb through carbs that quickly. <laughs> yeah. You've actually, like, used I've been, the test? Uh, my, yeah, my last uh, prep... Um, I didn't even have to use a test. My keto breath was so horrible. You've gotten keto breath before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's not your breath. It comes from your lungs. Yeah. So it doesn't matter how much you brush your teeth or you could swish a whole bottle of Listerine for, for all day long. It's going to smell like that. Um, but yeah, I was uh, in ketosis for like three months. But wouldn't you be coming in and out? <laughs> Apparently not. Not not if you're, uh, I guess, uh, spacing the carbs out throughout the day. Well, I guess if you're... I guess if your burning rate is mm. higher than your intake rate. Yeah. At uh, 300 grams of carbs, I was in ketosis all the time. I've never heard of that ever. That's crazy. You had to be 240 pounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess an Asian. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, the, the old school part about dieting, and uh, I don't know if you follow YouTube guys on today's, you know, bodybuilding. Yeah, but, much. Um, I remember, uh, you know, we had Evan Santapani down for our two-year anniversary. Okay. And I remember him, uh, you know, he, he, we all put our cell phones away, and mm -hmm. we had this open conversation for two hours. And it was the greatest thing um, because he, he's such a down-to-earth guy, and he's not in it to, you know, to bait and switch you on anything. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, his, his goal before prep is to eat as much food as possible. And then he switches over to prep, and he slowly takes out the food that he's eating. Mm -hmm. Like, it... it He's like, no, it's really like that's that's it. That's it's so simple. That's my entire like yep. prep. 
And uh, do, you, do you do that? I mean, I know you're not like a bodybuilder, but the the guys with RP and with all the stuff that you're following, um, you know, are you guys just ramping up calories as much as you can prior to prep? Uh, well, it depends on what you're trying to do. So I am right now because I'm massing, obviously. So my plan is to mass throughout the whole year, end of the year, and then go straight into pretty much a diet prep. A diet, yeah. But wouldn't yeah, so it's going to make it easier for you, right? So if you end up at, again, 1,200 carbs and your protein's at 300 and maybe your fat climbs up a little bit further, won't it make it easier for you to diet? Because your your metabolic rate's going to be so high, right? Uh, No. No? Yeah, as soon as you cut that food out, you know, you're hungry again. <laughs> well, yeah, but when you don't think dieting on 5,000 calories is easier than dieting on two? For sure, but uh, wait, so I'm kind of confused as a question. So if you drive your metabolism up to, I don't know what your total calories are. I'm not that great at math. Oh, um, drive. Oh, I understand what you're asking. You're asking if, um, so pretty much what you're asking is about uh, the term metabolic damage people use all the time because you're, you're, you're saying that if you're in a low calorie state, for a long time, you cause damage to your metabolism. And you, yeah, you're so, less efficient. Yeah, so wouldn't it make uh, like prepping for a show easier if you that's... spend more time driving food up? Okay. No, um, well, I, or I, reverse I, dieting, essentially? Yeah, so I don't think metabolic no. damage is a real thing. <laughs> that's that's why okay. I got a little confused about the question. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, um, if I'm ramping my calories up through a mass, it's not increasing my metabolism per se my, my my basal metabolism is the same what if your body weight stays the same and your calories are increasing something's wrong with you <laughs> but but then your metabolism could be speeding up no sure sure um i'd get to see that okay but uh no no i mean in that case if if that that was the case then yes that that's the only conclusion you can come to right okay yeah but i i've personally never seen that happen yeah. Usually when you start increasing calories, body weight will go up one way or another. Yeah. Barring any kind of weird GI issues that, you know, one right. might have. But yeah. beyond that, yeah. Huh. I mean, that'd be great. I would love that. I think most people love that, right? Well, yeah. Eat I mean, more and then just stay the same weight. But you've never increased calories and, and lost weight or increased calories. Over a long term? No. Not over a long term. Over like a short term period, that's, that's, though. That's like uh, like a week maybe or something like that? No, like, you've never, uh, have you ever reverse dieted? What, what, can you explain that? Uh, so slowly, I've heard the term. slowly implementing, uh, usually it's more calories, but it's usually more carbohydrates, mm -hmm. uh, over a period of time. So you're just as strict as you would be in prep, mm -hmm. but you're reversing out of that. Yeah. And a lot of people are able to stay pretty lean and adding a good amount of, of food back into their diet. Plan. Their weight, body weight goes up though. They might stay lean, but their body weight goes up. I see. Yeah. So, so, so the metabolism's not actually changing then? No. So, so uh, I know what you're saying. So pretty much they end the prep, and then they slowly increase carbs up, mm -hmm. but they stay the same leanness, uh, you know, visually, yeah. but they get heavier and ja more jacked per se, right? Okay. That's just them filling out more. Yeah. So they're just putting muscle back on? Yeah. In, in a sense, glycogen. Yeah. yeah some muscle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Muscle weight in that term. Yeah. Yeah. That's all that is. I just always thought that if you're starting a prep at 5,000 calories you know, it's going to be a lot easier to, you know, to get down if you're doing a 12 or 16 week prep, mm -hmm. you know, it's going to be a lot easier to, you have more tools in the arsenal, I feel like. For sure. I mean, like a hundred percent, uh, the higher starting your calories, the easier, I mean, 
depending on the length. Given that length is equal, yeah, yeah. of course it's going to be easier. And I guess body fat as well, right? So if we were to duplicate you and have that guy eating 3,000 calories, right? Because it's possible for somebody to be close to your size with a lower caloric yes. intake. Yes. So if we were to take you two, uh, you know, you at, let's just say you're at 6,000 and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, your twin at, at 3,000 and both di- died at the same time for the same show, mm-hmm. wouldn't you have more tools in your arsenal? Uh, yes, but, you know, hunger levels uh, vary from person to person, too, because like, it's, it's all relative, right? Because yeah. some, someone might be eating 3,000 calories and might be full, but I might be eating 5,000 calories. I might be starving, right? Right. So that that level of difficulty is all relative because, like I, like I said, I was eating about, at my lowest, about 250 grams of carbs or something around there yeah. for my my last like prep I did. You were dying. Yeah, but, but like the show got canceled, so I didn't do that. Yeah, I, I was I was miserable. Like, but people are like, "You're eating 250 grams of carbs. You're eating like French toast every night." But I'm like, I, "But I'm so hungry. <laughs> Help me." Yeah, I, I guess I, I'm still stuck on, uh, you know, if the starting points again, six thousand, three thousand. You have to work down over 16 weeks for, for sure. You, you always so have that, to work down the yeah, weight. So right? that 3,000 guy, I guess it, could, it does it's go all back relative, down. right? Yeah. It's all relative, yeah. right? All right, you win that battle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I concede. <laughs> all right, so, um, you know, we, again, I, I like to make these podcasts really about the customer base mm-hmm. uh, and, and whatever we can do to inform them uh, and make their lives easier on achieving their goals is great. For sure. Now, our customer base isn't just bodybuilders and powerlifters, it's not just, you know, meatheads. Uh, you know, we get a lot of people in that do, you know, cycling, endurance, uh, yeah. you know, athletes. all different kinds of sports, gen yeah. pop probably too, right? Yeah. People try to stay healthy. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so how much is like for an endurance athlete, uh, whether it's a swimmer a cyclist or a runner, you know, how much different is the diet than a bodybuilder? So I don't know exactly since, uh, I, I don't have a nutrition background, but I do know that endurance athletes, uh, the carb focus is way heavier. Really? Yeah. Yeah. For, for, for effect i know that um but you it, does carb type matter uh that i'm not sure of okay um i only know that because surprisingly enough we just came out with a like a a carb calculator for endurance athletes oh yeah like nice. on rp so like huh. i know another, it exists. L- another link there you go <laughs> um so yeah that's the only reason i uh, i know but i'm not sure about the actual carb type there's actually a book on that too on rp okay for endurance athletes yeah all right yeah it's it just uh you know, you see a lot of stuff again on Instagram and YouTube. Uh, you see a lot of endurance athletes when keto got big. Mm-hmm. You know, they were pushing keto, oh, and no. that this is, you know, that that the fats will be more sustainable energy because they take longer to digest. They give your body a longer amount of time to utilize that energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you guys have found that that has not worked out to to the endurance athlete's best benefit. Uh, from as far as I know, no. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. All right, um, you know. Uh, I don't have a, a ton more, but I think a, a good idea would be to kind of go over what RP does. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, where people can find it and all that stuff. For sure. Um, so, yeah, Renaissance Periodization. Uh, we uh, focus heavily on evidence-based uh, nutrition and sports science information. Um, uh, we're very, really big in the, you know, CrossFit, weightlifting, yeah. powerlifting world. But uh, I would say majority of our market is actually just gen pop okay yeah uh, we try to keep it uh you know like i said very evidence-based but very easy to digest 
Because, you know, no one likes to read all that jargon sometimes. What are you, like, are you guys providing, like, a platform of information? So, yeah, we produce a lot of content, like, as you know, from our YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, But beyond that, we have, like, uh, dye templates, training templates, all that kind of jazz. But our flagship product is an app. Okay. It's called the RP Diet app. You Mm -hmm. can download it on Google Play or the App Store. Uh, Pretty much everything we talked about and all the, you know, the quandaries of dieting, like what do you do, like how do I do this? It's all very confusing. It, it's different to a little for individual to individual. Situational, right? so situational. The app yeah. takes care of that. It liter- okay. It's literally so. It the code was the the logic behind the code is all pretty much written by Mike Rizzotel, Doctor Mike Rizzotel. So it's, it's his brain essentially in yeah. an app, <laughs> and it adjusts uh, for your metabolism okay. and your progress and results week to week to week. So it's not the same diet for everyone. It's completely different for each each individual, and it really depends on your goals and the time of length. The, I mean, the time length uh, of your actual uh, goal window. So, so it's providing you information so you can learn, but it's it tells you what to eat. But it uh, like food source wise. No, so you pick the food sources, but it tells you exactly how much to eat of that. The macros. Yeah, it reminds you of every meal if you wanted to. It reminds you of meals. Mm-hmm. Uh, it uh, builds your whole diet around your training if you train. Your okay. sleep schedule, your waking schedule, everything. Wow. Yeah, so literally, like, all this stuff is great to learn online and, like, learn about. But, like, if you have that app, you, do, like, <laughs> you don't need it. Yeah, you know, it just puts you on autopilot. 100%. All you have to do is pick your foods and shove it in your mouth. <laughs> how about that? Yeah. So, uh, how I'll get you the uh, uh, subscription. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely want to check it out. I'll download <laughs> it tonight. Uh, so how would, like, people can download it online. Uh, do you have, like, a, a code or anything that people can use? Uh, yeah, we could give you a code if you want. Give me a code? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll get you a code. We'll yeah, post we'll it up on there. Um, and then, you know, the users just download the app. They follow what they're doing. Uh, workout templates, you know, diet templates, basically everything. So on the app, it's diet. It's a, the RP diet app. Okay. But we sell, like, uh, training templates on the side. You obviously won't need the diet template if you have the app. Right. Because that controls your whole diet from right, there. Right, everything. Yeah. Uh, how much is it? Um, well, with your code, it'd be only nine ninety nine a month. It's that cheap? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Do you get to ask questions? Like, is there uh, an open forum or anything like that? Yeah. So there's a RP clients Facebook group. Uh, you could just request to join as a private group. So you ask all the questions you want, or you like literally hit up uh, customer service any day of the week, any time. They're usually really quick with answering any questions. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's been fun following your progress. Uh, I know we just Thank refollowed you. you, but we were following you for a while. Um, <clears throat> you know, from, from powerlifter to bodybuilder. And because you were so strong, you, you intrigued me when you made the switch over to bodybuilding. Um, if people want to continue to follow you and your progress and your 1,200 carb days and mm-hmm. all that good <laughs> stuff, uh, what's the best place to follow you and what's what's your handles? Uh, follow me on at Charlton Banks. Charlton so Banks. Charlton underscore Banks. You know, if you're Philly, you know, you know the yeah, reference. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, for obviously for RP, uh, it's uh, at RP Strength. Cool, yeah. guys. Follow Charlie. He's a great follow. He's crazy strong. Um, you know, he's doing all kinds of crazy bodybuilding stuff. So, thanks for joining us.